Well, if you've known me for a while, then you know that I used to work at the Baptist student ministry at UNT. And during my time there, I got to disciple many college students uh, through the music ministry that they have there. And while I haven't worked there in a while, I love getting uh, to see these students and hear how they're doing. And so this usually happens when I go to their weddings. And so last week, I went to the wedding of Travis and Daniel Clark. Um, And I spent a lot of time with Travis when he was a freshman. But after that year, uh, I left the BSM to come here and work as Jeff's pastoral assistant. But since then, Travis has stayed at the BSM, and he's been discipling other students through the music ministry. And so something that that was encouraging for me to see at the wedding was to see all of these guys that Travis has discipled and to see the love that they have for him because he's been faithful to uh, share the gospel with them and help them lead worship. And so I don't know many of these students, but it was encouraging to see that the time I spent discipling Travis has turned into him discipling others. And so in a way, seeds that I got the pleasure of planting four years ago are bearing fruit in Travis's life today. And so we see something similar going on in Paul's letter to the Colossians. That even though he didn't plant this church, they're a fruit of his previous labors. And so look with me at verse 1. You can see from the opening words that this is a letter from the Apostle Paul and his disciple Timothy. And we can see from verse 2 that they're writing to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So notice the language he's using here. He calls them saints and faithful brothers. He also says that they're in Christ, meaning that they've been united to Christ. So all of this is shorthand to say that these are Christians. And we can see here that Paul and Timothy are writing to a group of Christians, a local church in Colossae. So if you didn't know, Colossae was in Asia. Uh, But if you remember from the book of Acts, Paul actually never went to Colossae. The closest he probably got was to Ephesus. You might know Ephesus because there's a letter in the Bible written to the Ephesians. And this was about 80 miles away from Colossae. And so we wonder, how was this church planted? Well, Acts 19.10 says that Paul continued to preach in Ephesus for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And one of these Greeks was probably Epaphras. So look at Colossians 1, 7-8. It's in our text this morning. It says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a fellow minister, or faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So the Colossians heard the gospel through the preaching of Epaphras. We also learn at the end of the book that Epaphras is from Colossae. And so we can put together then that Epaphras had probably traveled to Ephesus. He probably heard Paul preach the gospel and was converted. And then he went back to Colossae where he planted the Colossian church. And so even though Paul didn't plant the church in Colossae, His disciple Epaphras did. Yet we can see from evidence within the book that Epaphras is actually now with Paul again, probably in Rome. 
And so this brings us to the reason for why this letter was written. Epaphras had reported to Paul that there was a dangerous teaching going around in the church. We don't know exactly what this teaching was, but evidence within the text seems to point to maybe being an early form of Jewish mysticism. And this teaching was dangerous because it was adding to the gospel. It was saying that the Colossians needed Christ plus the Jewish food laws. They needed Christ plus this extra experience or revelation. As you probably know, Paul's not going to put up with that. And so he wrote this letter to confront this false teaching by reminding them of the sufficiency of Christ. They didn't need Christ plus something. All they needed was Christ. And so in light of this, Paul called them to walk in a way that is worthy of Christ. And so if you were to pick one verse to summarize the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 6 would be the one. It says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. And so while our context might be different today, God is calling us through His Word to do the same. He's calling us to walk in Christ. And so we need God's Word to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us so that we can walk and live in such a way that makes much of King Jesus. And so I pray that as we study Colossians, that the Lord would do that. So in our passage this morning, we're going to see this main idea. Kids, if you have your sermon sheet, you can write this down. This is going to be my sermon in a sentence. But this is what we're going to see. God gives us new life so that we can live for Him. Say that one more time. God gives us new life so that we can live for Him. Verses 3 through 8, we're going to see life from God. So, again, life from God. And then in verses 9 through 14, we'll see life for God. We've got life from God, life for God. Let's look at our first point life from God. Look with me at verse 3. We can see here that Paul and Timothy had been praying for the Colossians. In general, there are four types of prayer that one can give. You might pray a prayer of adoration, prayer of confession, thanksgiving and supplication. You might notice that that's what we do when we gather as a church, that we pray through those, those kinds of prayers. We also saw last week that you can pray a prayer of lament. But what we see here is Paul and Timothy offering a prayer of thanksgiving to God. And so even though they didn't personally know the members of this church, they prayed for them. And when they did pray for them, the content of the prayer could always be described as thankful. And so notice that their thankfulness is to God. Paul isn't thanking himself for the church. He isn't thanking Epaphras for starting the church. He's probably thankful for Epaphras and for his faithfulness. But Paul recognizes that this church ultimately exists because of God's will and work. God's the one who deserves to be thanked for the church in Colossae. 
So what were they thankful for then? Look with me at verses 4 and 5. They were thankful for the Colossians' faith, love, and hope. So Paul frequently paired these three Christian virtues together. Here are a couple of examples. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3, Paul says that he remembers their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can also see Paul do this in in Romans and in Galatians and in Ephesians. We even see the author of Hebrews do this. And that the Apostle Peter does this in 1 Peter. Why, Why is this significant? Well, faith, love, and hope show that there's spiritual life in a church. This is why Paul and Timothy thank God for them. So let's first look at their faith. Notice who their faith was in. It wasn't in their works. It wasn't in the pagan gods that they used to worship. Their faith was in Christ Jesus. And so this is where the spiritual life of every believer begins. We were all once dead in our sins. Yet we come alive when we're united to Christ by faith. And so when we place our faith in Christ, His life becomes our life. And Paul wanted to remind them that their life couldn't be found in Christ plus something else. Faith in Jesus Christ, the God-man, was and is sufficient for them and us to have life. And so they didn't need these extra things that the false teachers were claiming that they needed. Yet notice also that it says, your faith. That your is plural. And so this was a faith that this local church shared in. That all of the members had faith in Christ. And so this is a church that's made up of those that have placed their faith in Jesus. And it's made up of those who have life in Christ by faith. Yet this shared faith wasn't something that merely stayed eternal. Their faith in Christ burst forth into love for others. The life of their church could be seen in their love. And so if you want to hear the heartbeat of a church, listen for its love. This isn't the vague kind of love that we often talk about today, that this was a love for all the saints. Not just the saints who were easy to love. Not just the saints who were like them. This is the kind of love that equally cared for the poor and the rich, the Greek and the Jew, the circumcised and the circumcised, the slave and the free. Why? Because they were one in Christ. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, this is the kind of love I see in you. Yet we can always be growing in this love. We can always be growing in our ability to care for those who aren't like us, who don't have the same interests or political preferences as us. Our love for one another isn't dependent on social class, ethnicity, or gender. We're to love and care for one another because we're one in Christ. And this was the kind of love that Paul and Timothy saw in the Colossians. It was a love for all of the saints. 
And so we can see from verse 5 that the faith and love that they saw in the Colossians was rooted in their hope. Notice that their faith and love were because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. So why is this? Well, Pastor Kent Hughes puts it well. He helps us in this way. He says, As pagans, the Colossians had been without God and without hope in this world. Then came the gospel of Epaphras and Philemon and the wonderful, surprising joy of salvation and hope of heaven. This joy naturally enlarged their love and faith. So weren't we the same, brothers and sisters? We were once lost in our sin. We didn't have hope. But then God gave us hope through the gospel. And so notice where this hope is for us. It's laid up in heaven. And so this is inheritance language. We, like the Colossians, didn't have an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. But when God the Father adopted us as sons in Christ, we were given Christ's inheritance. While we might be poor in this world, we have everything in heaven and in Christ. And so this gives us cause to have faith in Christ. This gives us cause to joyfully love our brothers and sisters. We have everything in Christ. And our faith and love as a church flow from an endless hope in heaven. How did the Colossians know about this hope? We can see from the text that it was through the preaching of the gospel. Look at the second half of verse 5. It says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. True faith, love, and hope cannot be present in a community if the gospel hasn't been preached. Hearing and responding to the gospel is where we start in the Christian faith. And this gospel, this good news, is the word of truth. The message of Christ's death and resurrection cuts through the lies that our sinful hearts were once tethered to and replaces them with the truth. But the gospel didn't just go to Colossae and stop. Look at verse 6. Paul says that the gospel was bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. And so as this letter is being written, it's been about 30 years since Jesus' death and resurrection. And since then, the gospel has been spreading all over the known world at the time. And so this shouldn't have been a surprise to them. This is what Jesus promised the gospel would do. You might remember Jesus' parable in Mark 4. Jesus says that the gospel is like a seed. The sower goes out and spreads the gospel seed across different soils. The first three soils don't bear gospel fruit, but the last soil does. This is what Mark 4.8 says. It says, And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So this is what the gospel does when it lands on the hearts, on hearts that have been regenerated by the Spirit. It bears fruit. Faith and love sprout forth when the gospel of hope is planted in good soil. This was happening all over the known world. Brothers and sisters, it's happening today that people from all tribes and tongues 
We're hearing and are hearing the gospel and are understanding the grace of God in truth. So this brings us to verse 7. The Colossians heard and understood the gospel through the ministry of Epaphras. Notice that Paul calls him a fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ. So Paul is affirming here that Epaphras was serving alongside Paul. That Epaphras wasn't preaching a different gospel like the false teachers in Colossae. He was teaching the gospel that was proclaimed by Jesus Christ and carried on by the apostles. Yet we can see that Epaphras isn't with them any longer. We can see in verse 8 that Epaphras had made known to Paul and Timothy the Colossians' love into the Spirit. While this could have just been a letter that he sent to Paul, the end of the book in chapter 4, verse 12, it shows us that Epaphras was actually with Paul at the time that the letter was written. And so even though Epaphras wasn't with them for the time being, Paul wanted them to remember Epaphras. And he wanted them to remember the gospel that he preached to them. So Paul might have been reminding them of this because he didn't want them to turn from the gospel that gave them life. He didn't want them to be deceived by this false teaching that was spreading through the church. He wanted to remind them that their life wasn't found in what they did, but in who they believed in. And so God ultimately was the one who deserved thanks for the Colossians' faith, love, and hope. God was the one who appointed their salvation. God was the one who sent Epaphras to them. And God was the one who gave them life through the proclamation of the gospel. And so true life is from God. And so if you're not a Christian, I just want to give you good news. You can have this life as well. That we're all sinners that have rebelled against God. Yet God shows His love for those who have rebelled against Him by sending Jesus Christ, His Son. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And He died the death that you and I deserved on the cross and was buried. Yet after three days, God raised Him from the dead and He now sits at the right hand of the Father and He will one day return to judge the living and the dead. So if you don't trust in Christ, you'll be judged for your rebellion against God. But here's the good news. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. And so if you place your faith in Christ and turn from your sin, then eternal life with Christ will be yours. And so God isn't asking you to clean yourself up first. He's asking you to come before Him as a weak and needy sinner who recognizes that they need Christ for life. Thankfully, it's Christ's heart to heal weak and needy sinners. He doesn't flee from those who recognize their need for life. 
Instead, his heart runs towards them, and he freely gives life. And so, friend, trust in Christ today. He's willing and able to forgive you of your sin. And so this brings us to our second point. In verses 3 through 8, we saw life from God. Now in verses 9 through 14, we'll see life for God. So in our first section, Paul and Timothy prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. And now we see that they're going to pray a prayer of supplication. This means they're going to ask God for something. If you're wondering what a prayer of supplication looks like, look towards our pastoral prayer on Sunday. That that's a prayer where we come and we ask God to do things in our church and around the world. And so notice what they ask God for. The text says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what do Paul want for the Colossians? They want them to be filled with knowledge. Knowledge of what? Of His will, meaning God's will. And so Paul didn't want them to be filled with the false teaching that was going around. The false teaching said that Christ was a good starting place, but they needed to move on to bigger and better knowledge. But Paul wanted none of this. He wanted them to be filled with the true knowledge of God revealed in Christ. And this is probably why Paul included verses 15 and 20 following the section that we're in. And we're going to get to that next time. It shows a glorious image of who Christ is. But he didn't want them to graduate from God's will revealed in Christ. And so in North Point Church, we'll never be able to fully mine the infinite beauty of Christ. But that shouldn't keep us from diving headfirst into studying it through Scripture and prayer. So we study all the Scriptures with this goal in mind. We want to grow in our knowledge and love for Christ. We don't approach the Scriptures merely to get head knowledge about God. We come to the Scriptures so that God can transform our heads and hearts through Christ by the Spirit. And so growing in our knowledge of God changes us. But what does it change us for? Look at verse 10. Paul wanted them to be filled with the knowledge of God so that they could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Notice that it says, worthy of the Lord. We can see from verse 3 that the Lord is Jesus Christ. And so, growing in knowledge of Christ leads to walking in a manner worthy of Christ. And so we want to please Him with the way that we walk. Yet this isn't talking about having a cool swagger in our step. This is talking about the way that we live. So we can see from this text and two other texts in Colossians that Paul is concerned with the Colossians' walk. Again, our text today says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Colossians 3.7 says, 
In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. And there Paul's referring to the old sinful ways of life that they used to walk in. So we can see here that Paul was continually concerned about their walk. He was concerned about how their knowledge of God influenced the way that they lived. And so Paul gave them three ways that they were to have a worthy walk. And we should also do the same. And so he called them to have a fruitful walk. We see that in verse 10. We see a powerful walk in verse 11. And then a thankful walk in verses 12 through 14. So again, we have a fruitful walk, a powerful walk, and a thankful walk. So let's look first at the fruitful walk in verse 10. Paul says that he wants them to be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So remember, just to clarify, we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, says it again, walk in them. A walk worthy of Christ looks like a life that is filled with good works. When we were slaves to sin, we didn't desire to love God and love others. But now that we have new hearts and a new spirit that dwells within us, we desire to do good things for the glory of God. Again, this is what happens when the gospel seed lands in good soil. It produces the fruit of good works, and it produces it a hundredfold. But notice that the fruitful walk doesn't just do good works. It also increases in knowledge of God. So if our good works are like plants in a garden, then increasing in our knowledge of God is the fertilizer. Again, good works and knowledge of God aren't opposed to each other. As we grow in our knowledge and love for God, we should grow in our desire to love God and serve others. And so we need God's Word to instruct us in how to do this. Theologian J.I. Packer similarly says, Knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. Yet if we don't seek to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God, then we won't know what it looks like to honor Him with our lives. And yet the fruitful walk isn't merely an individual effort. That this is a whole church effort. Because again, this church isn't addressed to an individual. It's addressed to a church. A gathered body of baptized believers who have faith in Christ. And so, we have to help one another grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. And so friend, if, if you don't know how to grow in your understanding of God's Word, then I have good news for you that listening to the Word preached in church is the best thing that you could do in that regard. But if you maybe want to go deeper and ask questions, I would encourage you to join one of our Bible studies that we're going to have this summer. I would also encourage you to join a small group in the fall that find other brothers and sisters that you can maybe meet with one-on-one. 
Because all in all, as elders, we want to create opportunities where members can come together to help one another increase in their knowledge of God. So come talk to me or one of the elders if you need help with this. If you're watching, you can email us and we can help you with that as well. But we would love to help you. We want to see the members of our church coming together to build up one another and to help one another understand God's Word. Let's move on to the second walk. Verse 11, we see that Paul wants the Colossians to have a powerful walk. Paul says that he wants them to be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Notice that he wasn't calling them to walk powerfully by their own power. They were to be strengthened by God's glorious might. Isn't that an awesome term? Glorious might. And so God is infinite in His power. But we're, as as creatures, we're finite in our power. And so, the question we need to ask is, how do we have access to God's glorious might? Well, this glorious might can strengthen us because we've been united to Christ. We're one with Him. And our omnipotent Lord delivers His strength to us by His omnipotent Spirit. The Spirit gives us Christ's strength for all endurance and patience with joy. And so Paul wanted the Colossians to be strengthened by God so that they could endure through temptation and these false teachings. And today God wants us to endure as well. So you might look at your life and say, I don't think I can trust God to help me endure through this quarantine. Why is he letting all this happen? You might say, I don't think I can trust God to help me endure through my difficult marriage. You might say, I don't think I can trust God to help me endure in putting lust to death. You might say, I don't think I can trust God to help me endure ridicule that I receive at faith or at work. You might say, I don't think I can trust God to help me endure through constant pain and sickness. You might even say, I don't think I can trust God if He doesn't bring justice soon. And so if you're going to operate according to your own strength, then yeah, you can't endure. But if you rely on Christ's strength by the Spirit, then you can endure any trial, circumstance, or question with patience. And so listen, we can do this with joy. The joy that Christ had when He endured the cross is now because of our union with Him by the Spirit. And so this doesn't mean that life is always set to the tune of a happy song. We're a people who lament the brokenness of our world. But we do so knowing that our hope is in heaven. And so if we're going to endure in this life and walk in a manner worthy of Christ, then we need to rely on God's power and not our own. Lastly, we can see that Paul wanted the Colossians to have a thankful walk. 
Paul says that he wanted them to, to be giving thanks to the Father in verse 12. There's an infinite amount of things that we could give thanks to the Father for. But Paul helps us in giving us three reasons here. First, Paul wanted them to be thankful for their inheritance. After telling them to give thanks to the Father, Paul says that the Father has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So what does Paul mean here? Well, The Colossians, before they were converted, same as you and I, had no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. And because of this, God had to qualify them and us. And that word qualify can mean to be made sufficient. And so to earn this inheritance, one must sufficiently fulfill a set of qualifications. So all the way back at the beginning, Adam, the first man, could have earned this inheritance if he had obeyed God's command. Yet we know that he disobeyed God. And because of this, the Colossians, us, and the rest of mankind have inherited a sin nature from Adam. And so of instead of desiring to obey God, we have all desired to follow our own wills that are bent towards sin and rebellion. Yet Jesus, the second Adam, wasn't like the first Adam. He obeyed every command of God in thought and in indeed. And he even obeyed God to the point of dying on the cross. And so while the first Adam failed in earning his inheritance, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, succeeded. And all of those who place their faith in him have been qualified to partake in Christ's inheritance. God has qualified us in Christ to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. And so this leads us to Paul's second reason for thankfulness. That Paul wanted them to be thankful for their transference. See this in verse 13. That Paul told the Colossians that the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Notice that Paul and Timothy have moved away from saying we and you to now saying us. They're recognizing that they and the Colossians and believers throughout all the ages have been delivered and transferred. As we've said, everyone from Adam's line is born into the domain of darkness. And this word domain points to power and authority. It's referring to the power and authority that Satan and evil have over the world. And so this, in a sense, is the kingdom of darkness. But praise be to God, His light breaks through darkness. And God takes rebels in the army of the, of the domain of darkness, and He makes them citizens in the kingdom of His Son. And so, if you're in Christ, then you're no longer a member of Satan's kingdom. You're no longer considered a rebel. You're now a citizen. And better yet, the citizens in God's kingdom are His children. And those who were once orphans in the domain of darkness are adopted into the kingdom of the Son. And so the question we need to ask then is how can those who were once in darkness be brought into the light? And so this brings us to Paul's third reason to be thankful. That Paul wanted them to be thankful for their redemption. 
So that word redeem can mean to be won back. Brings to mind the image of a king winning back his wayward bride from a captor. Yet that image is merely just the dim shadow of what Christ has done. That it was God's plan before the foundation of the earth to redeem a sinful people for His Son to be His bride. And how was this supposed to happen? The Father and the Son agreed that the Son needed to die on their behalf. You see, God is just. He can't just wipe sin under the rug. But God has dealt with our sin by laying the penalty of our sin on His Son, Jesus Christ. So how do we have redemption in Christ? We have redemption because we've been forgiven of our sins. And so while we were once rebels in the domain of darkness, our King has paid the ransom that brings us into this kingdom. And where there used to be debt and wrath, there is now inheritance and blessing. And so, brothers and sisters, this is what drives our thankfulness. This is what drives our walk. We desire to have a walk that is worthy of Christ because we have an inheritance in Him. We've been transferred into His kingdom and we've been redeemed. Isn't that good news? So I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing in regard to having a walk worthy of Christ? Would you say that your walk has been characterized by fruitfulness? Has it been characterized by God's enduring power? Has it been characterized by thankfulness? Brothers and sisters, I want to confess to you that this hasn't been the case for me this week. This week, for instance, I've been struggling with chronic pain for reasons I'm not really sure of. I've been discouraged and grieved by wickedness in our country. And instead of meditating on what God has done through Christ, I've been harboring bitter and angry thoughts. And so I haven't exhibited thankfulness this week. Yet as I realized this in my prep, I remembered these words. We sung them earlier. We're going to sing them again. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. And that's worth repeating. To look on Him and pardon me. So Christian, if you're looking for a reason to be thankful while the world's on fire, remember that you have an inheritance And you've been delivered from the domain of darkness. And you've been redeemed. Christian, every one of your sins has been forgiven in Christ. And you will one day stand before King Jesus in all of His glory. And you won't stand before Him as a rebel. 
but you'll stand before Him as a citizen and a redeemed child of God. And you will know Him and enjoy Him forever. And like Alex prayed, we'll know Him more and more and more and more. We can't even say it enough because it's forever. And so, brothers and sisters, we have everything we need to be thankful in Christ. So until that day, let's help one another walk in a manner worthy of our Savior. And let's thank Him with lives that make much of Him. So pray with me.